Good morning. Let me add my welcome to David's. It's good to be worshiping with you all this morning. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Bill Smith, and I'm one of the pastors here at Renewal Mainline. We are right in the middle of a very short Sunday morning teaching series that is looking at the people of God. And so last week, we took a look at who are the people that God chooses. And we discovered that he chooses the weak, not the strong, and he does so in order to touch other lives through those people. This week, we want to take a look at the context in which those people live, and spoiler alert, we're going to discover that the context is essentially a deck that's stacked against God's people. We'll see how badly it's stacked, but also, more importantly, we're going to see what God's people need and how they engage him in order to enter in to what God wants to do to use them. So what is this stacked deck? It's that humanity, not just Christians, but all human beings live in a world of pain and suffering. I don't need to argue for that. Spend 10 seconds on your newsfeed every day and you'll discover more than enough evidence for that. Humanity lives in a world of pain and suffering, and being a Christian does not exempt you from that world of pain and suffering. doesn't insulate you from it. What is different for God's people is that he gives resources and directions so that you can now live well in a world of pain, so that you can flourish in it despite how bad it is, and so that you can engage it in ways that are beneficial, not harmful. In one sense, that's the story of the Bible as a whole. It's the story of God's dealings with humanity. When we talk about the, the history of what God is doing with people, we normally divide it into four different categories. And we'll talk about those sections as creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And real briefly, when we talk about creation, we're talking about where God makes a beautiful world and populates it with people who image him who perfectly, sinlessly reflect him and who reflect to each other, to end to the larger creation, what he's like. But then next segment, fall. These humans refuse to listen to God and instead they build a world that is founded on, not on their appreciation of how amazing and how wonderful he is, how good he is. Instead, they build a world based in rebellion against him and against his goodness. And in doing that, they introduce evil into this world and they call down the curse. They call evil down into this world, and they call it down into themselves in particular. But then redemption, because God refuses to let evil win, and so he sets out to rescue his images, to restore them back to what he intended them to be, which leads to restoration. Sometimes we call that the new creation. Restoration, when there's no more need to do any redemptive work, because it's now fully complete so that God's fully restored images live with him in a fully restored world forever. That's the history of God's dealing with humanity as a whole, and it's the same history that he deals with each one of us individually. It's that story, or at least the first three elements, that you find in this obscure couple of verses in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. It's a story that if you will enter into it, helps you understand what it is that you're facing on a daily basis, it helps you understand what God is offering to you as you follow him. And so to get a better sense of that today, we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at what is it like to live in this world? Second, what recourse do you have 
in order to live here well? And third, what kind of life does that recourse offer you? So what's it like to live in this world? What recourse do you need? And what does that recourse offer you? Let's dive in. What is it like to live in this world? There are still elements, hints, pieces of creation in this world. And so Jabez's mother discovers one day that she's pregnant. What is that? It's the creation of life. It's the beginning of a human being where a human being didn't exist before. It's the start of a soul that has been created where one did not exist earlier. She and Jabez's dad entered into what God planned for the human race. That we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with what? With God's image. With beings who are like him. Beings who through their actions show what it's like to be in a relationship with the visible, I'm sorry, with the invisible God. They make visible his invisibility. Now you can't see God directly, but you get a glimpse of him as you see his images. And yet because he is infinite, because he is vast beyond our imagining, it takes all of us together in our infinite variations, our infinite diversities, all coming together in order to get a clearer picture, a better idea of who God is. And so when Jabez makes his presence known in his mother's womb, there's probably rejoicing. There's joy at the expectation of another image of God, joy and anticipation. Maybe there's wondering what he would be like, wondering what kind of personality he would have, what kind of strengths he'd have, what gifts, what talents God would have chosen to build into him. Is he going to be an artist, an athlete, scholar, builder, mechanic, mathematician, poet? The variations are endless. Who would he be? What would he be like? His parents entered into creation, a creation that's now been marred by the fall. Part of the curse that humanity brought upon ourselves when we broke the world is that nothing works the way that it's supposed to anymore. And so suffering is just a normal part of our experience. The ground does not produce like it should. Work now becomes labor. Our privilege of expanding the human race, populating the universe with little copies of God, our privilege now comes with pain. Pain that is universal for all women giving birth throughout history across geography. It's universal, but it's unequal. And Jabez's mother seems to have had more than others, a whole lot more. So much more that she picked out a name for her son, Jabez, that in Hebrew sounds like the phrase, he causes pain. And she tells you the reason, verse 9, that she chose that name. It's because I bore him in pain. There's something so awful about his birth, so horrendous, that when she thought of her newborn baby boy, the only thing she could think of was the pain that he had caused her. And so she named him Jabez. He causes pain. Now she's telling you something really important about herself in that moment. We talk a lot about this here at Renewal, but I want to remind you of the two categories of evil that you are always dealing with as you live in this world. There's the category of suffering. Those are the things that happen to you from outside of yourself. They're the things that you can't control, the things that you don't want, 
things you don't like, the things that bring grief and sorrow. It's one way that evil impacts you. You suffer under the curse. But then there's the category of sin. Sin is when you live and respond to this broken world in a way that is out of step with the one who made you. When you treat yourself or when you treat others in a way that is different from how God would treat you or treat others. Now go back to Jabez's mom. What's happening in her world? She's suffering. She's experiencing pain and grief like no one ever wants. And she's responding to it how? She doesn't turn to the Lord, to the one who made her, the one who loves her. She doesn't turn to the one who is touched by the things that touch her, who is grieved by the things that grieve her. The one who promises to wipe away every tear from her eyes. She doesn't turn to God for help. Instead, she strikes out against another person, against her son. And she does so by giving him a name that is tied to something that he had no control over. You think in that moment, that's crazy. What, what is she trying to do here? She trying to pay him back? You hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt you? If so, how much hurt will be enough? How much will he need to hurt to ever make up for what she experienced? When you ask that, you realize he can't. He can never make up for it. None of us can ever make up for the hurt that we bring to other people. And if she's not trying to make him pay back, but this is just a reaction, her reaction, then in some sense it's even worse. Because her reaction is not out to shelter someone, to guard them, to heal, the, heal them in this world of curse. Instead, she's doing something that's going to end up hurting someone else for no real reason except what? To, to express her own hurt. And something you realize that she doesn't take back later. She calls him Jabez. He causes pain. And she keeps calling him Jabez. She revisits her suffering every time she calls her son. Every time she says his name, she reinforces the memory. She retells the story of suffering. She ties him and her suffering more tightly together, reinforcing his identity, his place in her life every time she talks to him. She labels him with respect to the curse, labels him as belonging to part of the curse in her life. So that his very presence highlights the misery of living in a broken world that does not work the way that God intended it to. She does not identify him with respect to God, doesn't give him a name that reinforces he's an image of God, someone whose presence is filled with worth, with value, with dignity, simply because he exists. She's given him an identity, a way of seeing himself, a way of understanding himself that has nothing to do with being the utterly special, totally unique being that he is. A person with unimaginable potential, unimaginable value, someone whose value outweighs galaxies because he's made in the image of the galaxy maker. She has taken that 
identity and twisted it and distorted it. And that distortion is reinforced every time she calls him. What is she doing? She's responding to suffering by inflicting suffering. She's responding to suffering by sinning. Responding to the curse with curse. Responding by propagating the curse. Making sure that the curse goes out beyond her and affects more and more lives. And so instead of spreading the knowledge of God in whose image she's made, by spreading how God responds to suffering, she's spreading instead the rejection of God as an image of God saying, this is how we respond to suffering. We sin against others. And her son bears all the brunt of this. He pays the cost. Think about his experience of the world now. He's been sinned against by his mother. Sinned against so that now his world is filled with suffering. What would it be like to be a little guy just growing up, learning to engage other people, and people meet you and they say, hi, what's your name? And this little person learns early on that you have to mumble. You have to say, I'm pain. He causes pain. That's, that, that's who I am. That, that's what my mother says I am. That's my identity. Or think about him a little older, young teen. Starts noticing the girls in town, especially that really cute one that catches his eye. She has no idea, so she asks him, why did your mom call you that? He looks down and he has to say something like, because I heard her when I came out. Or maybe it doesn't get that far because once people know the origin of his name, would they even let their daughters around him? Who would be excited at the prospect of giving their daughter to this man, a man whose genetic composition brings so much pain to his mother that she brands him for life as the pain causer, the pain bringer, Who wants that future for their daughter? (laughs) A young lady who might potentially have children with him. His name alone is going to make it difficult for him to enter into what God intended at creation. To be fruitful, to multiply. Who's going to want him now? He's damaged goods. His mother has entered into the activity of the curse. Under the control, under the influence of the curse, she has cursed him. She's given him an identity that's not only personally destructive, it's socially destructive. She stigmatized him in all his future interactions so that people see and interact with him through the lens of curse, through pain, not through the lens of the glorious creation, seeing him primarily as an image of God. And she has done so in a way that he can never get away from. She's labeled him with this identity. He's done a number on him by crafting this identity for him, but if you think about it, it gets worse. Because you have to wonder, where's his father in all this? What's he doing all this time? If you think about it, you got about three options. First, his father is absent, either died or abandoned the family, which according to all of our modern data, 
leaves Jabez at greater risk of not flourishing than those who live with both of their parents. Or second, his father is ineffective in his home, doesn't lead well, has no real influence in shaping the home for good, or he just gets run over by Jabez's mother. Or third, his father is negligent, doesn't think about his kids, doesn't think about the implication of what happens in their lives, doesn't believe that he can impact the lives of his children for good, so he just lets things happen. We all know what's up with his dad, but we do know that in some way he contributes to Jabez's suffering. Either Jabez has to deal with the physical loss of a father figure or with the distortion of what a father's supposed to be. It doesn't have to be this way. There's another mother in Israel's history who also had a very difficult birth, one that was so bad it ended her life. That was Rachel, married to Jacob. She was Jacob's favorite wife. He married two sisters, but he engaged in the sin of favoritism. He favored one over the other. He favored Rachel. And in Genesis 35, in giving birth to a son, she lost her own life. And we're told that as she breathed her last, she named her son Ben-Oni, which means son of my trouble. Just like Jabez's mother, she tied his existence, his identity, to the curse. But Jacob, his father, stepped in and refused to call him that. Instead, he called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. That's remarkable. Jacob lost the wife that he loved most. If you keep reading, you realize that in some sense, he never got over that. You realize he could easily have been bitter, really bitter at the son who brought about the death of his favorite wife. But Jacob didn't allow that. He thought instead about the boy, and he refused to tie his identity to the curse. So where was Jabez's dad? Where is the person who would stand up for a helpless baby, for a young toddler, for a boy who's growing up into a man? Apparently, there was no one who did. Not his mother, not his father. Family of Jabez did a number on him, saddled him with a horrible identity. And some of you know what that's like. To be raised in a family that imposed an identity on you that did not celebrate you. But an identity that ended up being a source of suffering to you. A source of broken identity that in some ways still impacts you. Some of you have been told in a million ways that you're no good, that you will never amount to anything, that you're just a drain on the family, that you take more than you give, you cost more than you're worth, that the only thing you ever bring to the family is embarrassment. And so you grew up knowing that you weren't worth your family's time or their energy or their dollars, because it was clear, they made it clear that you'd never amount to much. Now, some of you have been given that identity, an, an identity that said, you are unwanted, that's who you are. What have some of us done with that suffering, that imposition on us of an ungodly identity? Some of us have bought into it. We've owned it as true. 
we see ourselves through its lenses. And so now we find a whole lot of different ways when we introduce ourselves to say, hi, I'm unwanted. No one could possibly want me. That's who I am. We, we, we all long to be wanted. Human beings do that. But when we buy into this identity, we are sure that we won't be. That's who we've always been. That's who we were told we are, who we've accepted. And so when we interact with people, we alternate becoming, between coming off a little desperately, wanting to be wanted a little too much, or prickly, pushing other people away so that we won't be rejected first. Some of us now self-identify as unwanted. Others of us have a different identity. We've been told, also in a million ways, that we are here, the reason for our existence is to validate someone else's decision. And so we've been told explicitly, implicitly, that we came to this country to give you a future. So you better take advantage of it. That's your identity. That's why you're here. You are here to prove that we made a good decision. And so now some of us walk around feeling the weight of that. The expectations, the pressure to perform, to succeed, to never stop striving. Or others of us have a slight twist on the same thing. Maybe you've been taught that you have to be all the things that someone else wanted you to be, wanted, I'm sorry, that they wanted to be but couldn't be. And so you're supposed to fill in. And so now you're supposed to be good in school, good in sports, well-off, famous, important, known and recognized, have a ton of friends. And not only do you have to be what someone else couldn't be, but you have to like it. Some of your families have tried to give you those kinds of identities. And if you buy into them, then you walk around introducing yourself by saying, Hi, I'm successful. I'm the good son. I'm the good daughter. I'm the one who honors the family. I honor my father. I honor my mother. I never let them down. Not even if it's killing me. The list goes on. All the bad identities our families can give us that we buy into, that we embrace as our own. So some of us walk around saying, Hi, I'm stress relief. I'm the family shock absorber. The one who absorbs everyone else's distress, their emotions when they can't hold it in any longer. It's my job to take it to make others feel happy, even when I'm crying inside. Or, hi, I'm low maintenance. I never cause problems, never get in trouble. Mom and dad have enough on their hands as it is, so I don't add to that. I stuff my struggles down deep so that I am seen and not heard. I'm always happy. Or, hi, I'm needed. I only have worth and value if I'm doing something for someone else. And I run myself into the ground doing far more than I really can because the only way anyone could ever possibly want me is for what I do for them. Friends, here's the hard truth. In a fallen world, one that is now sin-cursed, Every single one of our families does not view us from within a creation mindset. Each family in its own way, even the best of them, mine included, have communicated that we have something to do with the curse. 
that our identity is somehow informed by the curse, wrapped up in the curse, and that we should see ourselves that way. And we walk around with people trying to tell us, this is who you are, this is your identity, which leaves us in a world of pain, a world that we're really tempted to buy into, to adopt, and to make our own. Jabez shows us, point one, what it's like to live in this world. Now, point two, is there any recourse? Is there any way for you to escape that cursed identity without landing yourself in a different cursed identity? Jabez points the way. He feels the pain of what his family has done to him, so much so that he calls out, verse 10, Oh, that you would bless me. My life, God, has no blessing. It's not attached to blessing. It's only attached to pain. Oh, that you would bless me. Why? Skipping to the end. So that it might not bring me pain. You can hear the agony, right? How this has dominated him. Dogged him throughout life. How it's crushing him now. Sapping his spirit. Taking away all of his enjoyment. You can hear how he just, he, he can't keep it in any longer. It's unbearable. Oh, that you would bless me. That it might not bring me pain. He can't stand it one more minute, but... And this is really important. His calling out has a very specific direction because he's looking for a very specific solution. He's not calling out to express some primal emotion. This is not some methodology for releasing pent-up emotional distress. This is not for lancing emotional pain in the hopes of getting it all out. He's not hoping for some cathartic release. Why is that? Because he knows that all of those things are just connected to the fallen world. If you're going to deal with the effects of the curse, you need something that is not affected by the curse. You need some power, some methodology that relies on something that is outside this fallen universe. What do you need when your family or your society has given you an identity that replaces the image of God that you are with something else, with something that you've accepted and embraced, something that you've made your own. What do you need? You need a different definition that comes from a different family that is not corrupted by the curse, one that values human beings like they were meant to be valued. And so Jabez turns to the only family like that. He turns to God and he cries out to him for his blessing in order to escape the curse. He realizes that in a broken world, there are no unbroken resources to fix it, that you need something from outside it in order to bring healing to those who are within it. And in some sense, you and I all know that. We do this in our day-to-day -day lives, right? When things are not working right in the workplace, what do you do? You hire a consultant. You call in someone from the outside, someone who's not been influenced by the brokenness in the office. When your life or your relationship is not working like it should, what do you do? You seek a counselor, someone who is outside the relational dynamics that you've become familiar with. Same is true here. Jabez turns to the only source he can access that's outside of a cursed world. He calls upon the God of Israel. And in doing so, he demonstrates, as verse 9 says, that he's more honorable than his brothers. <laughs> We know absolutely nothing about his brothers, very little about Jabez. 
But what we do know is that when faced with the pain of living in this world, he looks to the one who made the world for the help that he needs to escape the brokenness in it. And we're told something amazing, last line of verse 10, that he got the help he wanted, that God granted him what he asked. Now I can hear somebody say, oh, I, I can't relate to a God like that, someone who's personally engaged with his images, with his children. See, Bill, I, I didn't really know my dad, my, or my dad was abusive or he ignored me. So I can't think of God as some kind of loving father figure who would pour himself out for me, who would respond well to me. But you think about that for a moment, you realize, well, that's probably the case for Jabez as well. So how is it that he reaches out to God, expecting that God will care about him and his needs when his parents haven't? It's because he's looking at the world the right way around. When we say that God is our Father, we're not saying that he will treat us like our human parent did. We're saying that our human parent should have treated us like God does treat us. That God is the original who defines what a father is and should be. The human copies then are what? They're supposed to emulate. They're supposed to mimic the original in the way they father us. So you don't go to your father to discover what God is like. You go to God to discover what your human father should be like. So if your human father did not treat you well, don't expect the same from God. God's not like that. Instead, go to Scripture and learn what he himself is like, like here, where you learn that he granted Jabez what he asked for. <laughs> that out of all of the millions of people on the planet at that, that, at that time, he cared about this one guy that you only find in two verses in the entire Scripture. Jabez is hardly a central character in Scripture. He does not have a significant role in the history of redemption. He's a guy that's not only small and overlooked, he's a guy who's been beaten up by his family. And God grants him what he asked for. That's who God is. That's who God is drawn to. That's who he cares about. And that's the God that you need when you're caught up in the curse. There is a recourse for you outside of this world, one that is uncorrupted by the curse, one that is ready and willing to enter into your life in order to rescue you from the curse. Jabez called out with that focus, same one that you need to have as well. That's point two, the recourse that you have. But point three, what kind of life does this recourse offer you? What are you calling out to him for? You're calling out for a new identity. You're calling out to be more identified with what God is doing in this world. In the active ways that he's bringing his power to bear on this world, you're calling out to be more identified with what he is doing than you are identified with the fall. Let's see this a little more clearly. Look again at his prayer in verse 10. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. That you would bless me is language that takes you back into Genesis. It's language that God uses before the fall when he makes human beings. He blesses them. 
Genesis 1, verse 28, and God blessed them. He blessed the first human couple. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed them. What is that? God made a binding verbal pronouncement a pronouncement of his own good on them and on their lives. He said, this is what is going to be true of you, because I said it. You will be fruitful and multiply. You will take care of this world like I would. And so God's blessing gives them power to produce life in all of its varied dimensions. Physical life, yes, but physical life that produces a good, healthy world where life flourishes. He gives human beings the power to multiply, to expand, to extend his goodness, his way of interacting with the world as they expand. When God blesses you, he gives you power to extend his good ways, his influence across the globe. That's what Jabez is asking for when he wants God to bless him and enlarge his border. He's saying, get me out from under the curse and bring me into the kind of life-giving life that a human being is supposed to have. I want to enter into what you're doing in the world that you started making. Okay, you can think about blessing from a creation standpoint. Or you can think about blessing, learn the same thing, after the fall of sin, of humanity into sin. After that time, God seeks out Abraham. It's another nobody. Someone whom no one ever heard of before. And God promises to him, Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation. Listen for it. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you hear the creation blessing in what God says to Abraham? This is what God is up to after the curse. God is now entering into this world of pain to restore what was broken, to redeem what was broken. And so God says to Abraham, a nobody with no descendant, no child, I will give you health-creating power. You will have lots of descendants. You're going to be a great nation. I will bless you. I will empower you so that you have influence on this earth that increases, that touches other people's lives, that blesses them, that brings a taste of my redemption into their lives. God's plan after the curse is to work in the lives of his people in order to restore them to what they should have had in the creation, to multiply their positive God-reflecting influence in other people's lives over larger and larger amounts of geography so that they create health in the lives of others who now live in this world of pain and suffering. So what is it then that we need when we're wrapped up in the curse, when we've been identified with it? We need the blessing of God that is so much stronger that it pushes against the power of evil and wins. So when Jabez prays to be blessed and have his border enlarged, you can't think of some self-serving, capitalistic kind of greedy prayer. He's not entering into some kind of prosperity gospel so that he can get his. He's not even asking that his life is going to get easier. In fact, when you align yourself with what God is doing in a sin-cursed world, 
your life will probably get harder. It certainly did for Jesus as he entered into this world to bring God's redemption. What Jabez is longing for is to have the power to enter into something that is bigger and better than the curse that he has experienced since, since birth. He wants the power to create goodness in a world of suffering. He wants to be part of what God is doing in the world. He doesn't want to be stuck in the curse in a world where there's only ever suffering with no hope of anything better. A world where there's no power to overcome evil. This is what makes him more honorable than his brothers. He sees the world through God's eyes. He sees what God is up to. Does not believe that the curse is the most powerful force in the universe. Instead, he believes that God can empower him, a suffering nobody, that God can give him what he needs to enter into a world of suffering and work alongside God in what God is doing, to partner with God with this new identity. Jabez believes that he can enter into a world that's controlled by redemption so that he has a redeemed identity. He believes that the pain of his past does not mean that it will be the only reality he ever knows. He believes there's real hope in having a really different life, a different way of life because he's identified with what God is doing rather than being identified with how human beings ruin the world. He believes that he can live differently in this world of pain, but only if he's blessed by God. Only, verse 10, if God's hand is with him. If God's presence is a tangible part of his life, something that he can feel and hang on to because he knows that God is hanging on to him and absolutely will not let go. And so he's asking to partner along with God, to not be left out of what God is doing to have his life connected to what God is doing. Which means in the words of God to Abraham, Jabez wants to be blessed in order to be a blessing, to have his border enlarged. Wants to be an agent of bringing life and health, healing to those who are still trapped in the curse. He wants his scope, his sphere of influence in other people's life, lives enlarged. And that means he's not asking for an easy life. He's asking for the power of God's blessing to transform him as he engages other people. He wants to relate to other people with God's redemptive plans and purposes in mind, not with what he learned from the curse. And that's not going to make his relationships easier. He may have to challenge what some of his family believe about him. He may have to push back against their definition of him, not accept how they've treated him. But when he pushes back, he's going to do so from within the framework of redemption. He's not going to run away or avoid them, not going to just put up with all the bad ways they've treated him, not going to curse them, fight back, meet their fire with fire of his own, not return cursing for cursing. None of those approaches are redemptive. Instead, Redemption means stepping into their lives with humble courage. Stepping into those spaces with challenges that ooze love. Gently confronting others, calling them to a better way of life. Not accepting the way that they sin against him, but not sinning against them in return. 
That's what he's asking for, to be able to throw whatever strength he has into what God is doing and to see that influence spread rather than adding to the curse that others already feel. His prayer is a prayer that you and I can also pray. And it's one that we can pray with hope, that God will also grant us what we ask. And we pray it with hope because there was another Jabez who also prayed this. That other Jabez prayed that in order to bless you so that you could pray it. We learn about him in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. We learn there, since therefore the children, that's you and me, the children of God, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He partook of the same things that you and I do. He entered into a world of pain. And he experienced every single part of it, partook of the same things that you and I do living here. Why? Back to verse 14. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus entered into the pain of a cursed world to destroy the power of the curse to free you and me from slavery, the slavery that we were, that we've lived under our entire lives. He entered into this world to bring redemption, a redemption that delivers you and me from the curse and from its power. Continuing verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so he might become a merciful and high, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was made like you and me in every respect, every way possible. He has felt exactly the same kind of things that you feel. And he did that so that he would be merciful to you, kind to you when you struggle, so that he would look at you and me and not be ashamed of us, not embarrassed, not angry, not frustrated, not disappointed, but so that he would look at us with mercy, mercy that says, I get it. I know firsthand how hard it is for you to live in the world of pain. And I'm not upset with you, not even when you don't handle it well. Jesus experienced this world so that he would become a merciful and faithful high priest one who not only got it, but who did something about it, who offered the sacrifice of himself to make propitiation for our sins. It's an older word there, but it's one that's really important. It means he took God's wrath against us and he turned it away from us by his sacrifice for us. What Jesus did as a faithful high priest took away every last bit of God's anger against us for how we have participated in the curse how we have sinned against others, how we have embraced cursed identities, for how we've expanded the reach of the curse instead of the reach of creation. And he asked, why did God do that? Why did Jesus enter in and do all of this? It was to bring blessing to us. He's the one who longed for the blessing of God in order to enlarge his border, to include as many people in the new creation who want to be with him in it. He did that so that we can now be children of God instead of children of the curse. Jesus is the one who was identified with the curse. He bore 
our sin and our suffering on the cross. He was born to absorb and take away pain, not to bring it. And he lived crying out to God that the curse would not be the controlling influence in his life, that the curse would not have the last word on him, but instead that he would be blessed so that in turn he could bless others. And so God's hand was with him, raising him from the dead, so that with his resurrection, the new creation is here now, a new creation whose border continues to expand into new people's lives every day, setting them free from the power and the ongoing control of the curse and giving each and every single one of us a new identity if we want it. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you know our address. Thank you that you came and shared it with us. Thank you that you entered into where we live and the ugliness and evil of this world did not overwhelm you. Thank you that you overcame this world, that you defeated Satan, that you defeated death, that you have opened the doors to a relationship with our Father in heaven. Thank you that we can have that because of your gift to us. Lord, we are an incredibly grateful people. We want to live with resurrection power, with redeemed delight, even while we continue to live in this world of suffering. We want to see your goodness and your blessing brought to it through what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise together in response to the word.